Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the unofficial podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week, I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Friday, February 15th, 2013. On this day in 1820, women's rights activist Susan B. Anthony was born. Happy birthday, Miss Anthony. This week, we will talk to a video game composer, a singer-musician, a t-shirt designing med student, a video game creator, and a comic book publisher. And in the elevator this week, we have a classically trained oboist who tells us why he needs the money. Okay, let's get started. This is DJ Grandpa's Crib. I'd like to welcome Ken Allen. He has a Kickstarter program on right now. He's doing quite well. He's from San Francisco, California, and he is a veteran video game music maker. I have friends who are going to school for that, and they speak of it almost like a dream job. So how does it feel to actually be doing what so many artistic or creative people would think of as a dream job? Well, how are you doing, DJ Grandpa? Uh, things are great. You know, 20 years ago, when I first started working in games, I was working for Sierra Online, and they hired me to write music for some of their games. And it was literally a dream come true. I had never had so much fun than laying down tracks for some of the greatest games ever made. Could you tell me the names of some of those games? If you've heard of King's Quest and if you've heard of Space Quest, those are two of the more notable game franchises that Sierra created over the years. Yes. There's also a few others like Quest for Glory and Police Quest and Camelot and uh, Longbow. Now, from 20 years ago, and you talk about online gamers, you guys had to be one of the first. Well, that's kind of the hallmark of Sierra Online, is that they were leading the charge in every field that could be led. They were leading the charge in audio when I first got there. Then they boosted up to fairly high-end graphics to VGA. And then they created the Sierra Network, which was a online game portal. I think they even had one of the first CD-ROM games that were ever made. Yeah. So you knew you were working somewhere special when you went into that office every day because you yes. had some of the most highly talented people that you could ever imagine working with just cranking away, giving their heart to their work, and it really showed from that period, I'm sure. Now, you're not going to have any copyright problems with Sierra or anything like that? I saw on your blog you talked about that. I definitely want to make sure that we're all totally legal with the copyright thing, so... Somebody alerted me to something in the copyright law called the compulsory mechanical license. Yes, sir. And I'm not a, a legal expert by any means, but everything I've read tells me that I can use this license to make new versions of any song that I want. And so the songs I want to make new versions of happen to be the ones that I've written in the past. Earlier, we spoke of how your Kickstarter campaign is doing very well, so much so that you're going to be the first person that I talk to about opening what they call stretch goals. It seems like everyone on Kickstarter is doing these now. So uh, let me kind of bring everybody up to speed. I have launched a Kickstarter campaign to fund the development of this album that I've been talking about. The album is called Under the Half Dome, and it kind of makes reference to Sierra's logo, the Half Dome logo that you saw at the beginning of the games. And when I launched this Kickstarter, and I did a lot of work, I did a lot of research, and I did a lot of pre-notification letting people I was going to be doing this. When I launched the Kickstarter, we hit our minimum funding goal within 48 hours. I picked 10K. I as, yeah, I, I, I sent you a note. My, <laughs> yeah, I did see that, which is why we're talking today, by the way. 
But according to Kickstarter, the sweet spot for music projects is about 10K. I didn't want to go against their conventional wisdom, so I thought, okay, I'll listen to their wisdom, I'll pick 10K. And then we blew through that goal in the first 48 hours, and I thought, uh-oh, uh, now i got to come up with stretch goals. I mean, I already had an idea of what I wanted to do, just in case we exceeded that amount. But I was kind of like, oh, i got to do it now. i got to figure it out now. So I picked a few stretch goals, uh, the first of which is if we hit 20K, I will do such and such. And that's kind of what stretch goals are. If you're enthusiastic enough to bring in funding, all you people out there who have been great contributors, if you can bring in more funding, I will do something extra special on the album. So as I mentioned earlier... The first stretch goes to 20K, and I want to write a thank you song, and the lyrics will feature the first names of all the backers. And then also on top of that, I've got hand-picked musicians who are going to help me record uh, one of the songs that are on the album with all white musicians, and they're very excited to be involved with that. So that's what we're going to do at the first stretch goal. And so you kind of get the idea of what I'm doing. I'm kind of pouring the money back into the project if yes, we sir. reach those stretch goals to make it a higher quality experience. And the response has been really good. Don't you just love the social media age? I wish I had thought of Kickstarter. It's incredible. <laughs> it's a work of genius, I have to say. I mean, crowdfunding, that's just the next logical thing past Facebook is, uh, okay, those of you who are creative types, what part of Facebook can you use to help get your project funded? Crowdfunding. Okay. And then Kickstarter comes along and says, we can do crowdfunding. So I just think Kickstarter is, is a gift it's just giving creative people new ways to think and envision how to put their work together. You know, like several hundred years ago when there would be patrons for artists or patrons for musicians and stuff like that. Yep. Kickstarter is almost that same type of community. And they love anything quirky, limited edition, novelty, nerdy. I mean, it's, it's just things that may not altogether be popular in the mass culture, it's given them a chance or a funding chance to get these ideas off the ground. And I just think it's amazing. No, I agree with that 100%. I think that when people who are fans have a chance to help make the choice about what gets out in the public, I think that's empowering to both the musician or the artist and to the end user. After watching your video, I saw that you had a a reward. It wasn't a reward category, but you said that if someone can think of an idea for a reward that you do not have, please contact you. And I thought that was a brilliant idea. It, it seemed to be a way to empower your backers or potential backers. As I researched all of the materials for successful launching a Kickstarter, one of the things that they stressed was make your backers feel like they're involved. And so I've really gone out of my way to let those people who believe in this project feel like they're contributing to it in some way. And so one of the ideas that came up was, I will write you a song. And it can be about any family-friendly topic. It can be a song where we have lyrics, or it can be a song for, like, uh, your homebrew adventure game or anything like that. And this came right from the group of backers. They love this idea. And then along the way, I've tried to make sure that people who have already backed feel like they're still engaged. It sounds as though you're saying thank you to your backers every step of the way. As much as I can, because this would not be possible without them. I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the show. Ken Allen, composer of Under the Half Dome, a recreation, or not a recreation, but an updating of the games that he's produced so many for in the past. Well, DJ Grandpa, it's been a genuine pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Good luck, dude. Bye-bye. See you on Kickstarter. And don't forget to make your pledge. 
Next up, I'd like you to meet Devin Sproul, a singer-musician from Austin, Texas. I've been talking to Devin for the past few weeks, and she's totally impressive. Last week, she was kind enough to loan us a song for the show, and this week, she sat down and talked to us about her music. You know, I'll be honest, when I saw your Kickstarter page, I thought you were just like some person who was kind of like playing in their garage or something like that, you know? <laughs> I'd been studying about you for an hour, and I'm like, man, she's actually done stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking to my friend Nikki about this, because even though like, I have some markets that do a little better, like where I can fill a bigger room or a theater or whatever, yes. it still is a very grassroots style operation, so even though some parts aren't as grassroots, like I work with a label overseas and, you know, I have like a slightly bigger production level, I think it's because the way I grew up, it still has a very community-oriented vibe to it. Now, I see you're from Austin, Texas. Uh, your Kickstarter page is Devin Sproul's Colors, the new record, and you have approximately two weeks left in your campaign. You reached your minimum funding goal, and you told me via email that you have some special news to announce on this podcast. I made an update this morning, and so I'm using the last couple weeks to try to get it past to the point of, of recording and into the point of promotion. The average budget that a Kickstarter campaign from a musician raises is like $10,000. You may be able to record the album, but it's a pay-to-play industry. And without a promotions budget, how are you ever going to get the record out there? I don't see a way to do it. You know, I see word of mouth, but there's like a billion YouTube pages created every day. It really is endless, the possibilities for promotion and stuff. And I think the most important thing is to not forget about the music itself. <laughs> yes. The minute that you start spending more time sort of getting bogged down by the business stuff, especially in this sort of climate that you just described, which I totally see it the same way. The moment that you get bogged down in that and you start spending more time, you know, on the computer, then that's the minute that you start to kind of falter as an artist, I think. Yes. Well, music is job one. And you're right. I, I talk to a lot of musicians, especially younger ones, and that's one of the biggest complaints that I'm starting to see on the Internet, especially in the comments section, um, although you can never live in those because it's pretty brutal. But they're complaining about, with all the social media, with so many different choices, they spend more time doing the quote-unquote business than, than they have for music. And it's kind of taking all the fun out of it, you know? Even with the swinging rope, it's never as fresh as you I think the key is the not getting bogged down in it, like just stepping away from it. And yes. I think, you know, records don't sell the way they used to, and the money is more in the touring than it is in the record sales. You need to be creative with the way that you make a living. So my husband is, is actually making a little bit of money from making Kickstarter videos for other people. <laughs> you know, I studied film in school, and so he's a musician for his living, but... He's got other little streams of income from different other creative inlets. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's close enough. Close enough. I get the point. Okay, what's your favorite social media platform? Oh, hmm. Well, which one do you live on the most? I guess Facebook. I hesitate to call it favorite because I it is more of a get sucked in. And but when I stopped caring too much about what I was liking and yes. not liking, and I just started liking things that I liked and not thinking too much about it, I started really enjoying it. I treat it all like a drive by, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I click on a couple things and I hop off, you know. <laughs> I may go back later, but I I just treat everything like a drive-by. I shoot out a few things and then I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Now, I hear you were born on a commune in Ontario and then raised on one in Virginia. Mm-hmm. I would say that's special. So could you tell me about that a little bit? Sure. They're non-religious called Intentional Communities, and they're group living, consensus-based, decision-making, income-sharing. Hippie commune type place. I would, I think... That was in your bio, it said hippie. They don't mind being summed up that way. So it's like, yeah, it was founded in the 60s, more on like um, behaviorism than on like, you know, weed smoking. Yes, ma'am. But there is a definite alternative vibe to it. It's based on egalitarianism, which is totally different than American capitalism and sort of personal gain. So are you on a record label in Europe? Yeah, it's a label called Tin Angel. I was the first release on theirs in like 2007, and now they they represent a little handful of, of artists. Kind of a bigger handful now, actually. Yeah, they're great. I was on a walk tonight out late I noticed your pickup License plate, a horseless carriage from Colorado, the home state of a pretty girl I used to know. Do you have an interesting tour story to tell us? I really love playing in the UK because I have a band there. I tour there once or twice a year usually, and um, the last tour we got to go to Shetland, yeah. the island way up north. We went to a haunted pirate graveyard. <laughs> I think it was Kirkcaldy, Kirkcaldy. Yes. In Scotland. I know it well, yes. Oh, right on. You know, we were just talking about computer business stuff, and when you're on the road, there's no question about what you're doing. Like, there's no, like, separating your day into, like, computer work and guitar work. It's like driving. I feel really purposeful in a literal sense. Now, I see you backed 14 projects on Kickstarter. I like that. I want to call Kickstarter the Hive. I'm getting tired of saying the Kickstarter community. It feels like it should be named something cool, you know, uh, <laughs> like the Hive, you know. But The Kickstarter Hive. <laughs> yeah, or just the Hive, and you should know what that means, you know, if you're part of oh, the community. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I dig it. <laughs> yeah. Now, what would you like to say to the backers, your supporters that you have right now? You know that feeling when you're walking around at a music festival? You're seeing a huge group of people all in a good mood yeah so that's how i feel when i'm like communicating with backers i feel like i'm in a place where everyone has a like that same kind of purpose and everyone's feeling good it's like power in numbers and i don't always feel that way when i'm on the internet like i feel i feel like i'm reaching out in kind of random frantic ways and and i don't always feel that connection 
Yeah. And then seeing all these people that I had no idea who they were, and some of them were pledging like five bucks, and some of them were pledging like, I mean, a lot, like, yes. you know, a thousand. And I, but the surprising thing is, it's like a little lovely tickle or a little like kiss, like every time, like even the tiniest little pledge comes in. Our musical guest for this week has been Devin Sproul, and I wish you the best with your career, and it looks like you're breaking an artist on, I guess as they would say, on the verge. Um, mm. You've been reviewed by The Village Voice, uh, The New Yorker, Rolling Stones, The Guardian, Mojo, Uncut, Paste, and The Observer, and you've been nominated for all sorts of folk festival awards and things of that <laughs> nature, so... And you're constantly touring, and that's cool. You're building a career and a fan base. So I wish you the best, and thank you very much for coming on the show. I think you're uh, sort of spearheading something, another element of Kickstarter that's going to be really important. I think it's a pretty cool crib. I'm, I'm happy to happy to be in it. <laughs> I'd like to introduce Paul Leonard of Underrepped Clothing. He's a med student, Philadelphia, PA. The project started over six months ago. My dad and I were walking down the street. We saw the same faces coming up over and over again. Famous actors, athletes, and politicians. We thought it'd be great to see some new faces. How's it feel to work with your dad? Yeah, well, actually, the idea kind of started with him. and He's kind of been a person that's really helped me take ideas and make them into reality. We're a great team, though. I really like working with him. So why is it we don't see the faces behind the great products we use in our everyday lives? Like who invented the zipper, or the stethoscope, or took motion picture to our cinemas? And we decided to do just that. We've decided to make comfortable, high-quality t-shirts that remember those great innovators. Now, from what I see, the t-shirt business is a 10 to $40 billion a year industry. But you're company underrepped has a special calling you're not just trying to do the average pro baller entertainer celebrity uh-huh. could you tell us a little bit about what you're trying to do with underrepped well we want to do t-shirts with a little bit more of a kind of a goal behind them or a kind of a reason for the t-shirt we like to say it's more about our idea than the t-shirt so to speak because we believe that there's a lot of great people out there that have done great things and that's not to take away from the celebrities and actors and athletes that are doing good things, but, you know, every person has something that they admire that they do, whether it be in film, art, photography, uh, whatever it is, they have someone that's special to them and that they appreciate that not a lot of other people necessarily know about. And so we said, why not start something where people can represent that person? You know, the cool thing is they can wear the shirt and find out other people who like that person as well and want to, you know, have a story that they can share. So... That's kind of where the whole core is behind it. And it's also, we like to think that people always want to represent someone that maybe hasn't gotten their spot in the spotlight, so to speak. I saw in your video that you have these prototypes for the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, could you yep. tell us who the people are? So in our first line, we wanted four people that we actually did mock-ups of. We actually, just to have the funds, I actually made only two of those people into the shirts, which are on our 
Kickstarter, you can see we have Adolf Rickenbacker, who invented the electric guitar in the early 1900s. We thought everyone loves music, and everyone appreciates electric guitars. And then, because I'm a medical student, I decided on Rene Lenac, who invented the stethoscope. And that's kind of just paying homage to my own interests and my friends who kind of have a similar interest in medical school and medicine and stuff. So I decided to take those, and I made about 30-some shirts with them to kind of have photos made and to show my backers that I can actually make this a reality, that, you know, it's more than just some mock-ups, but, like, I actually have a guy here, actually local in Camden, New Jersey, who makes all my shirts with me, and I help with him. I saw that in the video. The beauty of Kickstarter is that we can take that to a new level and keep adding people and get the funds to, to go to a full-scale production. I got you. I nominate George Washington Carver or Eli Whitney, but that's just a whole other topic. Great. Kickstarter is a community of special, different, weird, nerdy, limited edition, custom-made, handmade, you know, mm-hmm. things of all those sorts of things. So I think that's probably why your campaign has done so well in the first three days. I really liked your video. You did a great job. Did you have a professional help you shoot it? A buddy professional, I like to call him. He's a, a, a kid from Brooklyn. His name is actually David Rock. I'm really happy with it. And since then, I've actually had people asking specifically how we did our video and who did it. If anyone is interested in doing what you're doing right now, is there anything, any final words you'd like to tell them that might give them some advice? Because that's what people ultimately looking for from successful people. They're looking for a word or a shred of advice that might help them out. People spend a lot of time getting to the point of their launch where they go, what do I need to have a campaign to write it up and everything? But I would say spend a considerable amount of time thinking about once I hit the launch button, what's my next move? Because once you send a few emails out on Facebook or Twitter to your friends and family, you know, you don't want to just kind of throw your hands up and say, now what? You want to kind of think ahead and be like, where can I go now? Who can I talk to? How can I continue spreading my campaign? Because like I said, it's a 28-day job that every day you kind of have to have a new move or a new thought to add to it to make it grow. And it has to be more than just social media with my friends to make it grow. And I think spending a lot of time thinking about after day two of my campaign, what am I going to do, will really help you out and make it a success. Thank you very much, Paul Leonard. He has an apparel company of T-shirts on Kickstarter, and they rep the underrepped. Good luck with the campaign, and thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. First of all, welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib. Thank you. Great to be here. I'm speaking with Ryan Shar, half of the very successful duo from ROM The Game. Your campaign is still live on Kickstarter. Are you the graphic artist? Yeah. Okay. I've done basically all the art for it right now. So at ROM The Game, there are two of you basically putting this game together. There's you, Ryan, and then there's Zach. Uh, He's a programmer, am I correct? You guys have had amazing success on Kickstarter, and your numbers are trending towards you reaching approximately 300% over your minimum funding requirements. How does that feel? When we first put it up, we weren't really sure how it would work out. And, I mean, it just feels good that people people like the idea and people are supporting it. I read a little bit, and it says it's, it's an online co-op action game set in a procedural-generated world. What does that mean? You and up to um, three people can play together in co-ops. 
so you're working together and you're in a world that is generated randomly at the beginning of the game, so no game is going to be the same. Every game is going to be different, so each playthrough will be unique. And play with your friends, try to survive as long as you can. Now this game is like a murder-death-kill. Everyone on Kickstarter is loving it. What's the rating for this game? It is cartoony, but it has cartoony gore in it. I mean, zombies, their heads explode and their arms get ripped off and stuff like that, so I'm not sure how they rate that sort of thing, but... We aren't necessarily worried about the rating. We're just trying to make it fun and have the rating come on later. So it's a game about zombies. Yeah, it's post-apocalyptic zombie world. Tell us what the story is about. The game didn't start off as a zombie game. It was originally just a survival game. It was a game that we just wanted to play ourselves, and we just decided to go with it and make it. And the zombie genre, even though it's played out recently, and I mean, zombies are really, really popular... You are in a zombie apocalypse, so there's mutations that happen in our game. Yes, Where sir. these guys will randomly mutate over time and become more powerful. You're running around, you're scavenging for stuff. What stage of development is this game in? Is it beta, alpha, what? The video on Kickstarter is just a prototype. It's basically moving concept art. We have art and we have a development plan right now, but we are super early in development, so it's not even an alpha yet. What do you have to say to your nearly 3,000 backers? It's pretty amazing. I've never had anything like this happen to me before, and just to have my name on the internet and stuff like that, and people liking our idea, it feels pretty good. Thank you so much. I think that it is amazing that, you know, you guys basically said that there's one artist and one programmer. As far as I understand it, usually games like this have a a team, at least, uh, programming this type of game. The design document that we have, we've just been working on it for the past two years, basically, on and off. This is something on the side that's for fun. And since I got laid off at GPG, Gaspard Games, I was going to look for a new job. And Zach just happened to be in sort of the same financial situation as me, so we just decided to go with it. And we went with one of our design docs, which was a survival-themed game and over the past I don't know I think we started two months ago now yeah over a six-week period we just work day and night 16 18 hours a day sometimes all night just to get this thing out so that we could survive financially as well as put this up uh, having to actually find a job right away just in case <laughs> that this did work out you know yes sir and it was risky but it paid off and I think that's awesome Wow, that's an amazing story. I've read, I've been reading, seeing stories about gas-powered games all over the place, and they seem to be in a heap of trouble. Yeah. And then you rise from the ashes of gas-powered games, come out with a dock that you guys have just had laying around, work nonstop, necessity being the mother of invention, and you guys are basically creating jobs for yourselves now. And like I said, you're about to be at 300% of your minimum funding requirements. I hope that you guys make it all the way because you're going to need that job. Oh, yeah. And it has been very hard for me to get an interview with you because you're working nonstop. How much time have you put into this campaign so far? Uh, I, I haven't even been counting. The days kind of just meshed together. I don't really have a life right now. This is my life right now. You're like one of the survivors scrounging around in that game, just trying to keep your head above water and keep the zombies at bay. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that, yeah. You're That's living perfect. it. Perfect. Yeah. Well, Ryan Shar, thank you very much for 
taking the time out of your very busy schedule to do this interview with me and I wish you the best with your funding campaign and for anyone who wants to check out their campaign go to kickstarter.com search words rom the game and that's rom r-o-a-m the game all right dude get some rest if you can I'll try thanks Hello, I'm speaking with Andrew Golitz, publisher of Grey Haven Comics, and uh, he has a Kickstarter that's on right now, promoting a comic called You're Not Alone. The book, basically, it was a series of emails, me trying to cope and rant with the other editors. I'm like, I can't believe this. Look at what's happening. Look, It's depressing, but I couldn't turn off the news. I had to watch more. Then I had to read the comments, and then the comments really set me off, because anytime you go on a message board, you read comments on something, you want to, like, lose faith in humanity. Yeah, you can't live through the message boards. It's Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you have, we have to do something. I'm like, maybe nobody will care. Maybe. But if one person picks it up, and one person reads the story that resonates, then that's fine. And at the very least, it'll be therapeutic for myself, and I will keep on fighting the fight. And hopefully this is a good sign of a positive start. and Maybe we can keep doing more books like this. About a month ago, a bunch of the other editors and I were just talking about how we've put out a lot of books over the past couple of years, met a lot of talented writers and artists, and we wanted to do something with the talent we've acquired and the ability to make comics. So we wanted to do a special issue, a free comic that we'd put together and give away that would go to benefit kids or younger people or even older people that were affected by bullying, violence, abuse, depression. So we were just going to do an ordinary 36, 40-page book, like most of our books. And when I first started talking about it and when we first started promoting asking for submissions and um, just letting the word out. Yes. Submissions were overwhelming. I see you're at 150 pages or so now. That's a lot from yep, 30 to yep. 40 pages. There were just so many good ones that neither me or the other editors, there wasn't really anything we could cut. A lot of them were based on personal stories. They weren't fictional. Some are fictional. Some people just decided to put themselves in a situation and talk about this inspiration of hope and... Every time I would get a submission, I'd forward it to another editor and just we'd talk like, wow, this is this is intense. And real quick, it became known that there's no way we were going to be able to keep this at 40 pages. The Kickstarter has been up for two days and we're at 95 percent of the goal, which is astounding for me. Um, couldn't be happier. Originally, I wasn't going to do a Kickstarter for this. It was just going to be a regular issue. We'd budget it out and uh, put it for free. But once this became a, a much bigger book, it's going to cost a lot more to produce. So yes. I'm like, okay, we're going to try. We're going to need some help with this. Some of the editors and myself are financing some of it out of pocket, but we needed that help. You've developed quite a following on Kickstarter. You've launched roughly seven projects. On Kickstarter, what's your insight on the community? Because you just seem to be in tune with the community. Why do you think that is? There's a couple reasons. I think the book itself, the product itself, resonates with people. 
most of the funding that we did was to fund various projects for The Gathering, which is the main anthology for Greyhaven Comics. Right. Um, in that book, we allow people that have never drawn professionally or never written professionally to submit stories. So they're getting published for the first time. And in the past four years, there's it's upwards of 200 people that have never been published anywhere that have gotten a chance to do it with us. So that resonates with people, and it's like, okay, these are little guys. We're, we're small fish in a big pond, but we're helping other people achieve their dream. The goal, when, when we were able to get that first anthology published four years ago and, and do it and actually succeed, the goal after that was, well, let's keep doing it, let's keep having fun, but let's keep bringing new people, and let's let other people realize that dream. And as for the Kickstarter itself... Our first one, I didn't succeed in the first one. I saw that. The first one was doing to to help fund the print costs, Comic-Con fees, advertising. But the mistake I made, and this is what I've told a lot of people who've asked me, who've launched Kickstarters themselves, they're like, well, what did you do? You've had some success. How did you do it? Well, the first one wasn't successful, and there were a couple reasons. Uh, my goal was too high. I think I was at 2500 or 3000 or something like that. I had set an arbitrary amount. I didn't know what I needed for it. I just said, oh, 3000 is a good number. But I had in my story, uh, Kickstarter asks for a story and talk about what the project is. There was nothing in there to really de detail <laughs> why do you need three, why not two, why not four. So that didn't really make sense if you were an outsider looking at it. Right. And we hadn't really proven anything. Um, a lot of projects get started. Sometimes they get funded, sometimes they don't, but they don't fulfill their agreements. So there's a little bit of buyer beware with it. So now here's this guy saying he's got an anthology coming out, never published before, never did anything. The odds of him even completing this aren't that good. So why are we going to invest in, in money and then maybe never see a book out yeah. of it or any kind of reward out of it? So the second time around, I think we'd finished up to three issues at that point. So we had reviews. People have read the book. Comic sites, I could put, oh, here's the reviews for the first two issues. And then people responded, and they were a lot more, a lot more favorable to the idea. It seems as though all of your content from Greyhaven Comics seems to have some sort of theme of hope or inspiration, and I applaud you for that. And it's good to see a publisher like yourself do things like this. And, and I just wanted to say thanks and congratulations on the success of your Kickstarter thus far. Uh, when we're having this interview, 95% in roughly 48 hours. And uh, keep doing it, man. Andrew Gullitz, good luck to you. Thank you very much for having me, and I really appreciate the support. In the background, we're listening to some beautiful music, but there's a story to that. The music is by Matt Dine. He is an oboist and photographer. He's a co-principal of the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra and principal oboist of the American Ballet Theater in New York. And he also freelances for the New York Times. But I bring this up because he is on Kickstarter and he has a campaign that has roughly seven days left and it needs that extra push. And 
You know what that means. That means we're at DJ Grandpa's favorite part of the show, the elevator pitch. Welcome, Mr. Dine. DJ Grandpa, how are you? Matt, do you know what an elevator pitch is? I can only imagine that it's sort of the final, you know, last-ditch chance of, you know, making people want to contribute. Right, and you're 25% down. What's your elevator pitch? The opportunity is there. I'm 75% there. It's a different kind of project. I'm recording with myself. Heifetz did it. Wynton Marcellus did it. It's unique, and the music is fantastic. I can't express enough how great these oboe concertos are by Tommaso Albanoni. They're beautiful, gorgeous, gorgeous pieces. If you like the oboe, you'll love this album. If you like Albanoni, even if you don't know him, listen to him. He's one of the great, great Baroque composers, and... Um, it's not going to be recorded by a, quote, classical producer, sort of a more contemporary person. And it'll sound different and great. And I'm really, really excited about it. And that was an example, you know, a rough example, but it was an example that we were listening to before the elevator pitch of, of what you're trying to do, right? Right. I think you did it, man. You're yeah. engaging. I'm awesome. into it. Well, I am into it. You know, I can't wait. I've been practicing my ass off. I understand, or at least I believe I understand, but I do appreciate you coming on the show, and like I said, you're on my favorite part of the show, love your resume, and good luck. Thanks for having me, and um, have a great day. That's it, the end of our show. I'd like to thank all of our guests this week, and a special thanks goes to Trevor Williams, my very cool Facebook friend who gave us the theme song for DJ Grandpa's Crib. See you next week. So say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can like us on Facebook, search words, DJ Grandpa's Crib. You can also follow us on Twitter at DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. Search for DJ Grandpa's Crib in the iTunes store. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. And if you are not socially inclined, you can still reach DJ Grandpa the old-fashioned way by email. That's djg at djgrandpa.com. Each week, we will be talking to some of the most creative people on the planet. Stay tuned. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer for this and all House of Abdul podcasts is Abdullah Lucas.